Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Canadian RegTech Association's podcast. This episode is part of the Founders Series, where we'll invite the founders of some of the most innovative, high-growth companies operating in the RegTech space, and hear about their vision and some of the opportunities and challenges faced on their journey to grow their business. My name is Myra Miliadere, and I'll be your host today. By way of background, I'm a partner at Miller Thompson in Toronto and have significant experience supporting companies operating in the technology, media, and telecommunications sectors. I advise on in the areas of domestic and cross-border mergers and acquisitions, private equity, venture capital, and corporate finance. I regularly counsel companies utilizing cutting-edge technologies, including artificial intelligence, fintech, regtech, and blockchain. For those of you who don't know the Canadian RegTech Association, we're a not-for-profit organization focused on solving regulatory challenges through collaborative efforts between key RegTech stakeholders, such as regulated entities, technology vendors, and regulatory bodies. Joining me on today's episode is Jennifer Arnold. Jennifer, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Great. And, and uh, by way of background, Jennifer is a seasoned anti-money laundering professional, having held senior roles at large financial institutions. She now leads Minerva AI as its co-founder and CEO. And for those of you who don't know who Minerva AI is, it's a reg tech platform using deep learning and automation to execute enhanced due diligence and AML investigations in under 45 seconds. So everyone, I'm, I'm excited to, to have uh, Jennifer here and thanks for joining me and uh, we're looking forward to this. Yay, me too. <laughs> so I think it would be helpful. I gave a, a very, very short uh, overview of what uh, Minerva AI is, but it would be great uh, if you can tell us a bit about uh, the company and, and really some of the services offered. Yeah, for sure. So we're, I guess we're still a relatively um, new company in terms of time and market. Uh, but our goal really is to, you know, uh, eliminate bad money or bad players and actors um, access to legitimate financial systems. Um, and we do that through really intensive risk screening. Uh, and we're using enhanced due diligence as the template to do so. So when we're assessing a client for a financial crime risk, whether we're onboarding them or we're doing an EDD review or we're doing an AML investigation, we're going to look at their PEP and their sanctions. We're going to look at adverse media and social media. We're going to look at beneficial ownership if we're looking at an entity versus a person. We're going to look at links and relationships, criminal and legal activity, bringing that all together and then using the intelligence, the AI that is Minerva to provide um, risk assessment uh, and understand things like context and sentiment so the analyst can do their job much more efficiently. Oh, very interesting. Very interesting. And I think the, the focus on efficiency is absolutely critical. And it's, it's great you're bringing a novel technology to, to be able to do that. I think that adds uh, value for, the, for your clients. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree. And having watched this process um, in, in its current state, which is highly manual and incredibly menial work, uh, it, it's, it's due. It's due for an upgrade on both the efficiency and the efficacy of how we, we do this work. Yeah, no, uh, I totally agree with that. Uh, yeah, so I think we'll we'll switch gears, and uh, I'd like to hear a bit about because I know you were one of the co-founders of mm -hmm. Minerva. I'd like to hear a bit about what inspired you and your fellow co-founders to to start the business, and uh, really, what issues were you trying to address? Oh wow! So. Uh, 
really so much of our work comes or so much of the work of Minerva comes from our, our previous day job. So Victor Tay, one of um, our other co-founders and our CEO, he and I have worked together for close to a decade at various financial crime shops um, at some of the big banks here in Canada. And the problem we kept seeing, which was happening everywhere, it didn't matter if it was a, a big shop or a small shop, when we looked at the investigation unit, the, fi uh, the financial intelligence unit, um, again, just plagued by inefficiencies and the, you know, trying to execute a single investigation could take up to a day or more, which meant that these FIs were constantly in a position where they were behind the eight ball with the regulator, with their, with their casework. They were never able to move into sort of any real-time understanding of the risks. It's just very reactive. Got it. So this is, this is really able to solve that reactivity and be a bit more uh, proactive in the process. Yeah, I mean, imagine if you could actually just onboard the customers that you wanted and didn't have to worry about demarketing the ones you don't want, right? But if you could identify them up front, that would obviously, uh, that would be a massive time and money savings for, for everyone, I think. No, for sure, for sure. And it's, it's one of those things where uh, being a bit more proactive and, and, and cutting costs over the long term is, is critical. And it's something I think a lot of industries are thinking about. So it's very timely. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I mean, you probably know this as well as anyone, but when we have regulatory change or regulatory pressure or, uh, you know, there's kind of movement in the industry, our go-to move in industry has just been to hire more analysts. And that's not a sustainable business model uh, because you can't hire, you know, <laughs> indefinitely and forever growing a cost center inside of a bank, your shareholders will kill you, never mind your revenue generating partners. Um, so really, we just need to take, a, I guess, a, a much smarter approach to, to getting this work done. No, for sure, for sure. And I think this, uh, that makes perfect sense. Um, so staying on when the business was, was started, at least, it would be, it'd be interesting to hear about some of the challenges and, and barriers um, you faced when starting Minerva and really how you overcame these. Is there a few that come to mind? Yeah, I mean, it's the amount of times that I heard, it can't be done. I'm like, no, that's ridiculous. Of course it can be done. We just have to figure out how. Um, so that was, that was a big one early on, just the, you know, when I was having conversations and I did a lot of market research and interviews with um, you know, compliance people, um, CROs, CCOs, those folks. And there was a real sense that you know, I, this was like a pie in the sky dream and it couldn't be built and it couldn't be done. And I'm like, no, no, this, this, you're thinking about this the wrong way. This is a completely solvable problem. It's just gonna take some time and resources. And then when we, um, you know, when we had our sort of first, uh, you know, I guess pass at Minerva up and running, and, um, and we were talking to people again and letting them put their hands on Minerva and to see how she operates and the, the results that were coming back. Uh, then the next, the next response was, oh my God, that, we're so stupid. Why didn't we think of this sooner? And then, you know, the inevitable, um, well, we can build this ourselves. And I'm like, you, you just give it a try there, right? Like I, um, our CTO, our third co-founder, Damian Tran is, um, is an absolute genius. We poached him from the world of cancer research where he was building AI to understand uh, all kinds of uh, cancer data relating to treatment protocols and survival rates and um, how certain drugs act on the body, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we really kind of won the lottery when we, when we uh, managed to woo Damien onto our side. But yes, the first, the first reaction was, it can't be done, it's impossible. And then the second reaction was, oh, it's so simple, we should be able to build this ourselves.
<laughs> and I, I think both of those reactions are, are a reflection of of, uh, of of the market, and in some ways, in the uh, in the financial services sector, um, where it's uh, it, it's questions just because of the uh, conservative and, and for good reason mm -hmm. conservative nature of the industry um, that you, you two get a, a, a can't be done. This is how we've done it. Reaction. Um, and then uh, you move to the uh, the build model, which, um, as as we all know, the the uh, existing financial services industry, some of the the, the incumbents, their their organizations aren't set up to to be as a, uh, to really foster the innovation required. So, is that what you were seeing as well? Yeah, I think it was the not being able to. Um, to some degree, not being able to imagine a world that would look or operate differently. I think it was really easy for people to wrap their heads around the idea of intelligent data aggregation, as in, I'm only going to go out and look for information about the target um, that is relevant and connected to the idea of financial crime in some way. Um, and that I can look at all of these sources that I currently look at individually, I can look at them holistically. I think there was some like intuitive, oh yeah, okay, I totally get that. Um, but when it came talk about talking about the AI and her ability to use contextual information and clues to assemble a profile to get into that really rich data um, from literally like four and a half billion data points contemplated with every search, I think that's kind of where people's minds got blown. And and then really the question for industry becomes, well, is it explainable? Can you like, can, can you tell me why she makes the decisions she makes? Can you tell me when she's right and when she's wrong and why she is either right or wrong? And we can absolutely do that. Um, this is not a place for black box solutions. I think we've all, all heard that over and over again. But I think the minute you say AI, often people think, oh, well, it's, you know, it's unknowable. I'm like, mm, no, <laughs> that is <laughs> no. not the case. <laughs> no. That makes sense. No, that definitely does too, as well. So uh, I think I, I get that the uh, to get over the first objection that it was impossible or, or isn't as it can't be done was really to show and explain. For the uh, for, for closing the loop on the the second that we'll build it in house uh, for for want of a better description <laughs> is uh, it, how did you overcome that? Well, I, I mean, I think it's a combination of, um, you know, somebody participating in those conversations who has the experience um, and that sense of hubris from having tried to build something internally before. You're a financial uh, services provider. You're not a technology shop. You're not um, AI scientists. Yes, you have a team of quants that are working on rules and so on and so forth, but it's not the same thing. So I think that the big hurdle there for some, and let me be clear, some just never got over it. Some were like, yeah, no, we'll totally build this internally. I'm like, you let me know how that goes for you. Um, but I, I think then there was the seeing is believing and, and making Minerva and her results knowable, understandable, explainable. Um, that was that was a big chunk of it, like really seeing was believing. Got it, got it. So it was essentially uh, a bit of a balancing act between it's doable, but it's not too easy to do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's like we, you know, what we've been dark. We were we were dark for two years doing development and training, and, and you know, lots and lots of work. This is not something that you can cook up overnight. This is not a souped-up spreadsheet. Um, you know, these are very, very different. Uh, these are very different beasts. 
Got it. No, that's that's interesting. That's perfect. Um, so I want to shift gears right now to uh, really uh, financing of, of Minerva here as well. So I know um, you're you're still in relatively early stages. It's obviously a, not a not a brand new startup, but I'd want to get a sense of of how you've been to date financing uh, the company and and what sources of financing you took on at the beginning and what you're looking at now. Oh yeah. So I mean, to be honestly, in those early days of of our early development, when we were dark, we bootstrapped the whole darn thing, um, and that was you know that was just a choice that Victor and I made to pay out of our pocket. Uh, we did have a, a friends and family loan from uh, Victor's lovely mother, um, which came on I think just before we raised our seed or a few months prior to our seed, um, which helped us ensure that you know we could keep. Um, uh, our team members, you know, get, make sure their rent gets paid and that they've got food to eat. Mm -hmm. um, and then when we uh, when we closed our seed round, so that was two million US, uh, then we were able to pay back that loan um, with interest. And it was like a, you know, it was a victory. It was a happy day for us to be able to be able to do that. Um, but we, uh, when did we raise our seed? So we did. Um, a pre-seed with uh, an organization called Forum Ventures that also runs an accelerator program, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And then through that program, they kind of like launch you into the atmosphere of, uh, of raising and VCs and they put together like a lookbook and they introduce you to their network. And we just um, were inundated in the very best possible way with lots and lots of um, interviews with potential capital partners. And Oh my goodness, that was that was hard. That was a lot of meetings every day for just over a month. Um, and then when we met, there were two particular uh, partners that we liked immediately, and those ended up being our lead and our follow. So it moved relatively quickly. So we closed in, I want to say May. I want to say May of this year. Got it. Congratulations on doing that. And I, I know for, for the more uh, early stage and high growth companies listening, this is all very interesting because it's, uh, it's, it's a typical uh, approach you're discussing now and it's, it's the stages uh, going through. And did you find your, uh, your, uh, you were seeing a lot of interest from Canada, North America, um, worldwide or? Uh, it, you know what, it was, I would say it was more US, uh, definitely some Canadian interest, but um, lots of U.S. interest and some um, throughout Asia. Mm -hmm. We really, we really wanted to secure a U.S. lead, um, and we had a Canadian partner here that we really wanted to work with, and we've been lucky enough to work with them. Um, they came on as the follow, so that has been um, really, really great. Like I, I just think, like you know, Minerva. Obviously, I think she's genius, but um, I really kind of feel like again we won the lottery when it came to um, our round. No, that's fantastic. And I think it's, uh, I think something to take from this uh, for the audiences is, is think about your investors and make sure it's a strategic fit too, as well. It's not just, yeah. uh, you want, you want real money, not dumb money. Right. So I think that's, that's critical for that. Yeah. You want the smart connected money and that, and you want some, you're getting married basically. So you really <laughs> need someone that you can, you know, you want to go and have a drink with or cry on somebody's shoulder after a super crappy day. Um, you need to have that sort of full service relationship. And I, I, I think that we chose very wisely with our partners. That's great to hear. That's great to hear. Um, so I, I want to shift gears a bit now to uh, customer acquisition, if you don't mind. And I'd, yeah. I'd like to hear a bit about um, your customer acquisition strategy um, 
in uh, really day one, which we've we've briefly touched on, but it would, right. would be good to expand. But, and then also how that's changed uh, to now. Oh, yes. And it has, I mean, it has changed quite, <laughs> I think, quite, quite considerably. So uh, as I mentioned, Victor and I came from the world of banking. And really, when we were thinking about Minerva and her big purpose, we were thinking about all of the investigators that we had worked with in our past. Um, and how we were going to sort of liberate them from the tedium of Google searches and cut and paste and give them real juicy information quickly so they could make a decision and move on to the, you know, the next part of their, their process or the, or the next case. Um, so that was our kind of like no brainer moment. And then when we started talking to the banks, um, you know, Victor and I had this moment where we're like, wait a second, we've been on the buy side for uh, technology for a bank before, and that's a really painful and slow process. <laughs> um, uh, will we be able to weather that? Like, will we be able to go through a 16, 18 month buying cycle? And we're like, yeah, okay. So maybe that's not the way to go. Um, we certainly reached out to our network and had some early conversations, but very quickly, um, I started looking at where's the regulatory pressure? Where are the eyeballs? Um, you know, what's happening in terms of like industry proliferation. And so crypto and payments immediately came to mind. Uh, and uh, looking at you know the fines and the censure that have been handed out globally over the past year, it seemed like a really natural fit. Mm. We, cer we certainly learned, you know, in speaking to folks in the neobank uh, crypto payment space, they had a really excellent understanding of their uh, anti-money laundering obligations at the start of the relationship, you know, with KYC and their onboarding controls, um, but less so for the rest of the process and really the heavy lifting that goes on throughout the, the course of the relationship with the client. So that brings us to, you know, client risk rating and enhanced due diligence and AML investigations and ongoing monitoring. And all of those pieces were less understood um, and now obviously becoming more and more critical, especially as they scale. Got it. Got it. So you, you were a bit... Uh, you had a bit of a shift in industry focus, which I think makes, uh, or sector focused at least, mm -hmm. and, uh, and at least uh, that was a change there. And did you find the the lead time in, in securing customers has changed? Now you have a bit oh, more yes. of a proof of, proof of concept? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. There is nothing, uh, yeah, there's not, nothing quite like a bank. Um, yeah, I mean, they're more nimble organizations. And when you're having these kinds of discussions, at least in our experience so far, um, the people who come to the table are the right people. So you have your, you know, your AML compliance folks who have got skin in the game, but they come with their technology partners. Mm -hmm. So the conversation moves much more quickly and you dig into the, you know, the technicals much more quickly. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting if the, the sectors you've chosen, because they're, there are areas where there was just massive growth anyway. So I think the, oh, yeah. the, the timing was, uh, was, was exemplary there. Um, I'm curious if, if, you're, if you're continuing in, in those industries or, or you're looking at uh, a more of a broader focus or, or target or in the currently targeting another industry, just to hear yeah. about that too. Yeah, so I mean, it's challenging because we're still, I mean, we've doubled in size, but we're still a pretty small team. Um, so there's still a lot of focus on payments and crypto because again, there are like the market is just full globally speaking, like it's a massive, massive segment if you look at those two. Um, but when we talk about like people who are reaching out and inbound and expanding our, I guess, our outreach, 
um, small, medium-sized U.S. banks, um, credit unions on both sides of the border are also um, very curious and, uh, and engaged in what it is that we're doing. Got it. So you're, you're considering more uh, nimble uh, players in the marketplace who, um, uh, one, in some ways don't have the capabilities to do it internally um, or, or do AML compliance internally as well in investigations, but um, two are a bit more nimble on their decision making. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Fantastic. Well, that makes perfect sense too. So I, I think we'll close this off with my uh, my favorite question uh, of these conversations. Uh, and I'd love to hear about what you think uh, and see uh, the biggest challenges that your industry faces. Oh, wow. I actually think there's quite a few. Um, there is the, I, the sort of resistance or compliance resistance culture that is embedded in so many places um, where they think they're going to be able to work around the regulations or where new finance type businesses, crypto payments, et cetera, um, don't believe that they're technically a regulated industry or that the existing uh, you know, principles for uh, anti-financial crime don't apply to them. And I, so I think there's gonna be some you know, crime and punishment um, in the next, in the next <laughs> couple of years. I think that is a real challenge. I think that, um, I think financial service providers, especially legacy providers, really need to look at um, technology solutions for their regulatory problems because that regulatory burden as it's referred to is not going to be lessening we know that we know that from history we know that from our current experience and so if you would like to turn your aml shop and into a revenue generating partner help your revenue generating partners get to market more quickly with new products and services then you really need to revolutionize how you're doing that work internally so you're no longer the blockade got it yeah and it's it's your first point there about the uh the uh the oncoming uh and uh fines that will be coming through to certain players who just haven't accepted the fact that uh, um, they are regulated. Yeah. Uh, I think that's going to be a, a massive uh, change in tide as well, because um, it, it's true. It's This is the, the good thing and the bad thing about technology companies is, is they tend to move fast and move quickly. And, and crypto is a very similar industry to that where they don't maybe see the, uh, the whole picture and, and their strength is also their weakness. It's let's get it done as, as opposed to taking yeah. a second here and there. Yeah, and I think there's a huge opportunity for innovation there, right? Like there's, um, so the principles apply, right? Like know your client, perform a risk assessment, take a risk differentiated approach. These are these are principles that you can apply to your you know new paradigm business, um, and you can operationalize it. And it doesn't have to be a carbon copy of what you know your giant legacy FI is doing, but the principles are the same. Got it. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Well, Jennifer, thank you for your time today. This is uh, this has flown by, but I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Oh my gosh, it has gone very quickly. You're right. Yes, thank you. It was lovely. It was lovely talking to you today. Great. And thanks to our listeners for joining us for today's episode. Uh, I would encourage everyone to visit the Canadian RegTech Association's website to learn more about some of the upcoming webinars, podcasts, and other events put on by the Canadian RegTech Association. There's lots going on uh, in the next few months. And uh, please do subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. And uh, we look forward to talking again on our next show. Bye-bye.